Well, as always, church, it is good to be with you. If you're new or visiting, my name is Tyler David. I'm one of the preaching pastors here at the Stone and honored to get to fill in for Matt. But like Matt said, we're, we're hoping that over the next three weeks that God would do something significant among us. That God would do something amazing among us, that what would actually happen, that the gospel would be more true and more real for us than it ever has been. But money is not a subject talked about a lot in the church. I think there's a variety of reasons for that. I mean, one of the reasons, obviously, is that we know that in the past, churches and pastors in particular have handled this subject very poorly. And I think that's part of it. But I think the main reason we don't talk about it is because all of us collectively struggle We struggle to handle our finances in light of the word of God. All of us struggle to handle our finances in light of the word of God. We all do. Now, I'm not saying you don't handle your finances well according to some other standard. That maybe you handle them well according to some financial advice you've received. Maybe compared to how other people use their finances. Maybe compared to how you used to use your money. But what I'm saying is that all of us, when it comes to the word of God and what his gospel would dictate for us to do with our money, all of us have a lot of room to grow, whether we want to admit that or not. But we can't let the fact that we struggle to obey God in this area keep us from talking about it. We can't. We can't because God takes your money and my money so serious, how we use it, how we steward it so seriously, not because he wants a clean budget. He takes it seriously because our money, like nothing else, makes war for our hearts. It makes war for my heart and your heart. See, money has this godlike ambition to master us, this godlike ambition to demand worship from us. It is not interested in sharing us with God. It wants all of our allegiance and all of our affection. And when Jesus sees anyone or anything attempting to steal the hearts of his people, of his bride, the church, do you know what he does? Like any good husband, he goes to war with that thing. He bought our hearts with his blood. He's not about to let anyone else, especially money, take our hearts from him. So he takes it serious because it is about our hearts fundamentally. And nothing could be more paramount in our relationship with God than our hearts. But even though, even though finances are this important and there's so much at stake, you can already feel yourself beginning to pull away, can't you? Some of you are already thinking, I don't want to hear this sermon because deep down you're already feeling that shame. Deep down in your mind, you're already thinking about that debt that you owe. That number's looming in your mind, and you don't even want to listen because you don't think God has anything good to say to you because you know you failed in your finances. But others of us are pulling away for a different reason. Others of us are saying, are making arguments right now in your minds as to why this isn't for you. Making arguments right now as to why you feel pretty competent with your money and your possessions. You have a budget, you have a plan, you're executing it pretty good. That you even give to charities or to churches or to ministries or missionaries, you're already giving the quota in your mind, so there's nothing for you really to learn. You're glad we're preaching on it for those other people, but you already know, you already feel like you have it all together in this area, no matter what God's word may say to you. But here's what I'm hoping. Here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that what God would do, no matter where you fall on that spectrum, whether you're feeling shame already or you're defensive already, wherever you are on that spectrum, I'm hoping that God today would show you from his word, reveal to us the things we're, not, the things we're treasuring more than God. The things that our hearts are treasuring more than God, that we would experience the forgiveness of worshiping money through excess and through hoarding it. That we would experience all of that and that God would begin to free us into levels of generosity you and I never thought possible. 
Levels of generosity that you never thought you could ever achieve and that would bring levels of joy you always thought impossible for you. That's what we're hoping that God would free our hearts to worship today. So you have a Bible, open up to Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six, we're gonna spend the majority of our time in just three verses. Just three verses from the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about money. It'll be Matthew six, verse 19 through 21. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. It'll be on the screen behind me. Matthew six, verse 19 through 21. This is what God's word says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, there are a lot of teachings that our culture is fairly familiar with. Phrases like turn the other cheek and ideas of treating others the way you want to be treated are found in this sermon. In this text we just read, you're probably familiar with it. Any time in church you've heard this talked about before. And so what happens, because we're familiar with this text, we kind of gloss over it. We're like, yeah, yeah, treasure is heaven, I get it. But I want you to see how significant this is. In verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says plainly, if you want to see what your heart treasures follow your money. If you want to see what your heart truly treasures, what it values, what what you love, what you trust in, what you delight in, just look at what you spend your money on. See, money has this unique ability to be honest with us and to show us how our hearts really are with God. And the reason this is the case, the reason it's so unique in the way it can show us our hearts is because the other commands of God in the scriptures are more general in nature. They're more general in nature, so it's more subjective as to if you obeyed or not. So think about it this way. Colossians 3 tells us to have the word of God dwell in us richly. Have the word of God dwell in you richly. You're commanded to do that. But you begin to think about your life and you say, well, I mean, I do read the Bible. I mean, I could always read it more. So it's kind of, well, I do obey, but I also don't obey. And so there's kind of this gray area. Think about Luke 10. We're told to love your neighbor as yourself. So you think about it like, well, I... I always love people better, but I've loved people well. There are people that I've grown. And so you look at your life and all these commands of God, and because they're general in nature, you can kind of let yourself off the hook, can't you? Without even realizing, you can begin to cite intentions or cite circumstances and begin to say, well, I'm not doing that bad. But money is altogether different. It's altogether different. See, it is more honest with us about our hearts than we want it to be. See, with money, there's not a lot of gray area because with money, you have a receipt staring you in the face. You have a number there, and no matter the circumstances, no matter your intentions, the number is what it is. And in the text, what Jesus is saying is that these numbers are not just numbers. Your budget's not just a budget, but it's data. It's pointers to what you actually value. That the data of what you spend your money on is not just information for future earning trends. No, the data of what I spend my money on tells me whether or not I actually treasure God. That's what Jesus just said in this text. What he's saying is you can read your Bible consistently. You can pray consistently. You can attend church consistently. You can be nice consistently. And yet, 
None of those things reveal your heart towards God like money does. None of them do. Jesus is saying money has this unique way to show you what your heart with God is like. This is indicting, isn't it? If you just think about your money, I think about my money and how I spend it. Sure, some of it has godly intentions in it probably, but most of it's thoughtless, right? Most of it has thought, but not concerned towards God's kingdom, but thought about, well, what's, what's my future? How do I want to save? And you begin to realize, you look at your finances, that God's a distant third, fourth, fifth, sixth in your life. You love him, but he's one of many things that we love. So here's the question. How can people like us who genuinely, we genuinely want to love God, we want to experience his presence, but how can we love him so little with our finances? How can our hearts be as distant as our money would say that they are? The reason being because money promises to be God. Money promises to be God. Money promises you and me everything God does except you can get it now and without faith. It promises everything God promises, yet money says, no, but I'll give it to you now without faith. See, money says, hey, I know God said he'd be with you. I know God said he'd take care of you, but doesn't it seem like he's failing? Doesn't it seem like you could have your cake and eat it too? See, money promises everything immediately and tangibly. Look at Matthew 6, 24, just two verses down. Listen to what Jesus says about God and money. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot do both. Jesus makes this stark contrast to say, eventually, eventually you will drift towards one or the other. That's what he's saying. Here's the thing about money. Here's why it's so appealing to everyone. Because money can get you any sin you want. It can. Any idol that you want, it can get it for you. See, all of us are different in here. We have different sin struggles, different sin patterns, different idols that we go to to worship. We're all different in that regard. But here's the thing about money. It can get us any of them. This is why it's a universal struggle because money says, hey, do you struggle with approval? Do, do you, you like, you, are your, is your life defined by people liking you? Guess what? I know God says he can give you approval. I know God says he loves you all the time in Christ, but doesn't it feel like he doesn't? Do, doesn't it feel like he doesn't? You can't feel his love all the time. Guess what? As money, I can get it for you now. I can make people like you now. I can give you money to buy whatever you need for people to think you're cool. I can get you whatever you need. You can pay for anything for people to actually like you. You'll never have to feel insecure again if you just have more of me. That's what money says. Maybe you're not approval. Maybe you're control. That money comes to you and says, no, if you want control, you want security. You don't want to have to worry ever again. Just get more of me. Just get more money. I can take care of you. I know God's in control and he runs the world, but and aren't things falling apart? Aren't things falling apart? Is he really in control? I can get you a 401k. I can get you a saving so large you'll never have to fret again. It offers us control. Maybe it's not those. Maybe it's comforts. Maybe, it's com maybe you love plush lifestyles. And so money comes to you and says, I know God's given you comfort in Christ. I mean, but have you ever sat in a lazy boy before? Have you ever had this type of food? Have you ever lived this way? I'm telling you, money says, I can give you comfort now. I can give you the best experiences, the best restaurants, the best whatever you want. You'll never be bored again or unsatisfied again if you have enough of me. Maybe it's power. 
Maybe it's respect that you're after. Money can get you that. Money says, hey, I know God's given you the spirit. I know he's given this kingdom in the future, but it's taking him a while, isn't it? You're getting disrespected. People aren't honoring you the way they should. With enough of me, you can influence business. You can influence institutions. You can influence policies. No one will ever disrespect you again if you have enough of me. On and on I could go. Money promises you it can get you everything God says except you don't need faith and you don't have to wait. See, but you know from personal experience and we know from the word of God, these are lies. They're not true. They're not true. Look at verse 19 again. Jesus calls them for what they are. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. See, Jesus calls these things treasures on earth. Why? Because he knows they're treasures. They're the treasures of this earth. He's not acting as if they're not alluring. He's not acting as if they're not enticing. He knows that they are. But he calls them for what they are. He says, he goes, guys, I know that they're, they're treasure. I know they're valuable here. I know they promise life and joy here. I totally get that. I'm just telling you they're unreliable and they're unsatisfying. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying they're unreliable, they're unsatisfying. It's only a matter of time before it lets you down. Only a matter of time before this money that promised all of these things for you leaves you hopeless. It's only a matter of time. And you and I know that. You've heard story after story of rich persons saying how unhappy they are. There's been sociological studies that prove that happiness is not go hand in hand with money. You know that's not true, but yet why is it so hard to give anything away? Why are we still so scared and hesitant to give anything away? Because we can't just stop treasuring things. You and I are hardwired to treasure something, to use our money to secure something. It's hardwired into us by God. And so that's why over time, you'll either serve money or use money to serve God. But you can't have one or the other. That's what Jesus is saying. But here's what I want you to hear. He's not rebuking us for wanting treasure. He's not rebuking us for wanting treasure. He's challenging us to go after true treasure. He's not saying, hey, your money's primarily about not spending on certain things, though that's part of it. He's saying it's primarily about spending it on the right things, on the true things, on the things your heart is actually after. Jesus is here to challenge us to say, you're thinking far too small with your money. Look at verse 19 to 21 again. Listen to Jesus, listen to what he says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But look at his command. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus wants you to put your money towards something that has a higher return on investment. That's what he's saying. We too often see being generous as losing something. We too often see being generous as I have to lose all this stuff. I have to lose a vacation. I have to lose a certain home or a certain lifestyle. And I don't want to lose these things. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, no, those things aren't gain because you're going to lose them eventually. Those things are not gain for your hearts because they can't give you what you want. They can't be protected from everything. They're eventually going to fail. And when you die, you can't take those things with you. No, what he's saying is, I want to give you better treasure. That's what he wants. 
He wants to give you what your hearts were made for. He put a longing for eternity in all of your hearts. And in my heart, that no treasure here can ever fully satisfy. And so often in the New Testament, the way God motivates his people to give is by reminding us of the future. The way he motivates us to give is by reminding us of all his promises that Jesus purchased on the cross. See, when Jesus died for us, he died for our sin, he gave us God's favor forever. So all of God's promises are yes in him. And so now we know that the future he purchased is for sure going to happen to us. So what God will do over and over again in the New Testament is say, look to what's coming. Look to the future. That's why you give now. I'm going to give you two texts really quickly to show you how often future promises are the motivation for our generosity. Don't turn there. Just look on the screen behind me. Luke 12, 32 to 33. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old and with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. As for the rich in this present age, which is about 99% of us, as Americans, we're the top 10% wealthiest of all time. This applies to us. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. God motivates and says, your generosity will make sense when you see the treasures you get in the next life. See, generosity is the best sermon you could preach to your heart about the greatness of God. The best sermon you could preach to your heart, the relationship between money and our hearts is cyclical. So in one sense, money reveals to us what we value. When you look at your budget, it reveals to you what you actually value. But on the other side of it, it reinforces and tells you what you should value. It tells you what is most important. And so generosity for the Christian is reinforcing to us that this is not home. Letting go of things is reminding yourself, I can't keep any of these things. Home is not here. See, for the Christian, generosity reminds us that this life is just a warm-up lap for the real thing. Just a warm-up lap. That's all this is. The real life is coming for the people of God. See, the hope of God in the New Testament is not that eventually this life will live up to all the hype. The hope is the resurrection. The hope is the resurrection that Jesus is coming with a new body and new heavens and a new earth for us to enjoy God with his people forever. And here's what's going to happen on that day. On that day when you see Jesus, everything that was lost here in this life will be gained there in that life. Everything. Everything we had to lose here when we get there, we'll say it was all gain. That's what we'll see. That's how God motivates. So generosity to the local church is preaching to your heart. You're part of a family that will last forever, that will outlast every biological family. Generosity to the poor preaches to your heart that Jesus became poor for us, that in his poverty we might be rich in God. 
generosity to the nations hearing the gospel, preach to them for the first time, preaches to our hearts that we're part of this mission of God, rescuing a people from all peoples to dwell with him forever in heaven. See, when generosity causes you to decrease your eating out, when generosity causes you to downsize your home, when generosity causes you to decrease your hobbies, you are preaching to your heart, heart, God is greater than all of these things. You're telling your heart what you should value. And you're banking on the fact that God is better. See, generosity, this series, is all, that's all it's about. Us banking on God and what we know to be true, that knowing him, having God through Jesus Christ is better than anything. It's better than anything. But if you haven't tasted and experienced the sweetness and the peace of having your sins forgiven, if you haven't been in awe and wonder and delighted in the character of God, if you haven't seen the wisdom from his word prove true again and again and again, if it's been a while since that's happened to you or if it's never happened to you, all of this will sound ridiculous. It will sound overbearing. It'll sound unreasonable what I'm saying, but not for the people of God. Not for the people of God. The people of God have the spirit of God in them and it testifies to you of the worth of God. The spirit of God, no matter how faint he may be in your life right now, if you're in Christ, he's telling you, no, this is worth it. He's better than everything. You know that, you've tasted, you've seen, you've experienced it. He's better. Generosity is banking on the fact and preaching to our hearts that he's better. See, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so as we begin to consider, even right now as you're thinking about, okay, this is true and I have to be generous, it's going to be a terrifying process, isn't it? I mean, you think about what would actually have to change in our lives. Things would have to give up. You begin to realize this could be terrifying. I mean, for some of us, it's terrifying because you know the debt in your mind that you haven't dealt with. You know those spending habits that you can't imagine not living life that way. Some of us are already having in our mind things that are off limits. Well, God can't touch this. It's, it's terrifying to think about. Others of us are terrified because you, may, you might look at your financial plan and you might realize that this plan makes sense for an American but it may not make sense for a Christian. That all of a sudden we have to consider, oh no, everything I have is his. And, and let me tell you this, I get it. I get how terrifying this process can be. I'm, I mean, I don't know how it's been so far listening to a sermon about money, but preparing it wasn't any, wasn't any easier. I mean, this week on Tuesday, as I began to study this topic, and we knew Matt was gonna be able to preach, so I began to study this topic, and I, I read, read a lot of good things, and a lot of things were, I mean, really insightful and penetrating to my heart, but nothing was popping off the page, and there's nothing the Spirit of God was really laying on my heart that we had to hear as a church. I was kind of discouraged about it, so as I drove home Tuesday afternoon after work, I drove home, and it began to be clear to me, the Spirit was pressing on my heart that he wanted to deal with me first. He wanted to deal with me first, and I was terrified. I was like, I don't really want to deal with you. You know, I don't want to talk to you about it. And here's why I was so terrified, honestly. It's because me and my wife, Lauren, we first got married, we were terrible with money. Terrible with it. I mean, we, we had a budget, sort of, but if you, if you never look at it, it doesn't really matter. 
And so we would do what most of us do. We didn't spend money on really big things. There's a lot of little things, but having a lifestyle that was just more than we could afford. Going to restaurants that were just more than we could afford. On vacations, just more than we could afford. And so you do that for enough time, over a couple years, you rack up some debt. And throughout that entire season of our marriage, I knew we were wrong. I mean, deep down, I was like, man, we're being selfish. We need to change this. But I couldn't bring myself to deal with it. I just couldn't. I didn't want to look at how irresponsible and sinful we had been. I can vividly remember sitting online, the Bank of America page, at the login site, and I couldn't bring myself to log in. I couldn't do it because I knew what that statement was going to say, and I didn't want to see it. See, what I really wanted was a quick fix. I wanted to go confess to God, confess to other people, and magically the debt's just gone. That's what I wanted. I, I, I wanted to confess sin and not change my lifestyle at all. I didn't want to lose anything. I wanted all the problems to be gone and not have to change a bit, but I knew that wasn't true. I knew that wasn't true. I knew it was gonna take ongoing discipline and faith and grace from God to do it. And God has been gracious over the past couple of years. We've gotten so much healthier financially. We're able to be more generous than we were when we first got married, but it's still a tender spot in my heart. It's still a tender spot when I think about our lives. It's no longer a deep source of shame for us, but on Tuesday when I knew I needed to talk to God about it, I was like, uh-oh. Uh-oh, what's he going to say? Am I in sin and not realizing it? What, what's he going to ask me to do? Am I going to sacrifice more? So I kept putting it off and putting it off, and finally, right before we put our daughter down to go to sleep, I told Lauren, I said, hey, I need to go on a walk. I, I need to go pray. So I went on a walk, and as usual, my finances were indicative of my heart. Here's what became clear as I prayed. What became clear is that I've gotten to a place where I'm giving enough so God will leave me alone. I'm giving enough so God and his people will leave me alone about it. That's what I found out about my giving this week. See, because I, I struggled with this for so many years, so now this level of giving, no one would tell me it's bad or that's too, too little. And so now I'm like, okay, then I'm good. And what God began to press on my heart is no you give in light of the gospel. You give in light of the scriptures, not in light of some imaginary quota you've set in your mind. And it was challenging for me. And, it was, and this was Tuesday, so I'm still processing what it means for us as a family and how we move forward together. But I, I tell you that story just so you know, we get how terrifying this is. We get it. This is going to be a challenging couple of weeks for us as we begin to assess our finances. But I want you to know this, church. There is one person in this church who does not need to repent of any sin when it comes to money. If you're thinking of yourself, you're wrong. It's not you. It's Jesus. He's the only one. Everyone else, leadership included, during this series, we need to bring our finances before God, which represent our hearts before God, and repent. And be honest. And look at our finances and say, God, I love so many other things than you. That's what this series is all about. But here's the good news, church. Jesus died for sin. The good news for us is that Jesus died for all of our sins, even our financial ones. So if you come here today and you're feeling guilty, you're feeling shame, and your first thought is, okay, now I'll give God a lot of money, and now he'll love me. That's not how it works. The only generosity that can save you is God's generosity in giving us Jesus. That's it. That's all that can save you. You don't give to be loved. God's already loved you because he's given Jesus. 
So there, when it comes to our finances, it comes to generosity, all of his people start with grace. You don't start in debt with him. Jesus paid for that. He paid for that. So now we give and we're generous not to earn something from him, but to enjoy all that he's already purchased for us. That's why we give. See, God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need it. He owns everything. He doesn't need your money, but he wants your heart. And the way to your heart is through your money. It's very clear in the text. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The way to your heart is through your money. And so it would be too easy for me to end this sermon with just let's go out there and be generous. It'd be too, it'd be honestly disingenuous for me to say, hey, we want you guys to have God with your heart and then not give you specific application. We're going to get specific about what you need to do with your money this week because Jesus does not want you to be convicted this morning, convicted today, and just walk out and go on about your business. He wants our hearts. When you experience grace, you know what you want to do? You want to follow Jesus. Grace is not lifeless. It produces change. And so I want to get specific about what we need to do this week because when Jesus talks to people in the Gospels about their money, he gets very specific. He gets very specific because this sin in us is so deep and so insidious that we will make every excuse why we don't need to deal with it. We will. I will. I know I will. So this week, church, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take an hour this week. Take an hour this week. Look at your budget. Look at what you spent money on the past month, the past year, and be honest and say, what do I actually value? Don't say, well, I read the Bible, well, I pray. Don't go into that. Just look at your money and say, if Jesus is right, and that my money is the most indicative of what my heart with God is like, do I actually treasure him? And by the way, if you don't know how to do that, if you're honestly thinking, I don't know how to look at what I spent money on, ask somebody next to you, ask somebody in your missional community, ask someone at your campus. But this week you need to ask yourself the question, am I spending money like this life is not home? Ask yourself that question. Are you spending money as if you could keep it? Ask yourself the question, have you made good things like a retirement account and a savings account more important than being generous? It will be a challenging thing to do, church. But we have to look at it and be honest with where our hearts are. Then once you do that, once you do that, be honest with another Christian brother or sister. Bring someone into this conversation, someone in your missional community, a close friend, someone who knows Jesus, and be honest. We as a culture, as a city, we love being authentic. We love being vulnerable about everything other than what we spend our money on. If you want to be authentic, you want to be vulnerable, you want to be known, your money is the best way they can see into your heart. So I would encourage you, I plead with you, you cannot look at your budget and make a, and repent and do this on your own. You can't. You're not supposed to. You're made to do this in fellowship with other people. And married couples... Talk to each other, talk through it together, but I really think you need to involve someone else, another couple maybe. Because in, in a marriage, it's easy to either demonize the other person as if they're the, 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 the problem and they're the one at fault, or to really excuse your sin because you're both at fault and you both don't want to be held accountable. Bring someone else into that. This week, look at your budget, bring someone else into it, but here's what I want to end with. No matter what you find, no matter how rebellious your heart may be, no matter what level of generosity you know God's calling you to, remember what Jesus just promised us. Remember his promise. He's promising you true 
treasure. That's what he's promising. He's promising that your generosity will not go unnoticed for his sake. It won't go unnoticed. He sees everything and he's promising that that is actually will give your heart joy. The things you're after, you'll get it through generosity. That's what he's promising. As you look at your budget and you're being challenged and you're convicted, consider the holes in his hands. Consider the holes in his feet. Consider the pierce in his side. Consider the grace and the truth and the forgiveness on his lips. And you remember in that moment, church, we can trust him. He's right and he's true. And all he has is joy in mind for us. Let's pray. Father, when we talk about this subject, God, all of us in this moment, myself included, God, I'm pierced. I'm convicted by how much I love things more than you. God, by how often I can convince myself that money is a a thing that I can just deal with on my own. God, and the whole time I'm just floundering and missing out on joy and we're missing out on life and we're missing out on true treasure God, because all the false lies we've been sold. So God, what, what we're asking you to do today is something supernatural. What we're asking you to do today is to release our hearts to be totally and utterly yours. God, that you would remind us that this is not home for us, that we have a kingdom that's coming where no moth and no rust can destroy where thieves can't break in and steal, that Jesus, you'll be there with the treasure and we'll finally see that every loss here was gain there. God, make us that kind of people. You know how weak we are in this area. God, we know there's so much growth that needs to happen in us, but God, would you start this morning, would you start today by reminding us who we are, by giving us a song to sing that reminds us that whatever Jesus tells me to do It's good, and it's right, and it's true. Jesus, thank you for loving us in ways that we do not deserve. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.